Welcome to another brand new episode of Take a Shelfie, the podcast about bottle shops and the pints and people you find therein. I'm Jeff Martin, and with me as always is a man who coached a bunch of ragtag kids into becoming hockey players, and that suddenly makes him good enough to be one game removed in the minors from being in the NHL, Matt Prince. I was this close, Charlie. This close. He was in his 30s. Yeah, listen, and and then all those like NHL players know who he is because he was like a superstar in Minnesota. Yeah, Pee Wee Hockey Minnesota really makes uh, NHL players pay attention. Well, listen, Chris Chelios knew who he was. Yeah, and Mike Madano. But quick, yeah. quick, uh, quick Estevez family ranking, Matt. I want that from you. Ooh. Well, we all know. Oh, we'll, we'll start at, at four. I'm going to go with four. I'm going to go Char- Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to go Emilio. And then I'm going to go sister, Renee. <laughs> and then i'm gonna go martin because you know he's bartlett well yeah i mean martin's obviously number one I- i'm gonna put emilio number two um and then renee and then charlie yeah i mean i'm just joking i mean for those people who are big west wing fans renee had a very small role but she was on like the whole time there was a great moment in the finale which i just recently watched because it left netflix at the end of the year last year um, where Bartlett's going through the halls and and saying goodbye to people, and he stops at Renee Estevez and he says, "Tell your mother I'm really looking forward to seeing her again soon." And I fall <laughs> apart into a puddle. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, it's it's a great moment, and for those people who know that's his actual daughter, it's it's so sweet. For those who don't, it's uh it's just a fleet uh passing moment. Yeah, but anyway, this this is sometimes a, a West Wing fan podcast, but there's a good one of those called the West Wing Weekly that we recommend people listen to. This yes. is a beer podcast. Matt, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Map of the Sun from the Rare Barrel. And Jeff, uh, I don't know if you've enjoyed your your little fill me up can of this from Pinocchio's yet, but this was uh, one of the anniversary beers. They had a keg of it. They obviously couldn't have people live because they don't have an outdoor space. So they... Uh, they did a little canning run at a local brewery and I got a little 12 ouncer of it and it's uh pucker up sour, which is uh, good for me. It wouldn't be good for you. I haven't opened either of my um, unlabeled 12 ounces uh, from that hall. So it's good to hear that it's still good and drinkable. I'll, I'll try to get through them this weekend because we're now sort of past the point where it's been a month and I, I'm going to start to worry. So you have, you still have the stout. And this, you yes. drank your, your Pliny for president. And I also drank my tree houses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Cause the, you know, the Pliny should definitely have been enjoyed already. I mean, I think the Pliny got enjoyed within three hours of returning home. Right. What I'm drinking right now, Matt, is the shape of hops to come from uh, Nishamani Creek. It's a beer that you and I used to uh, wait for it to come out. Uh, and then we would rush to get it. Uh, and then it sort of became available all the time. And we haven't really gone for it recently. Uh, but it's, it's, I saw it at the bottle shop, picked up a four pack, and I'm not regretting it at all. It's, it's still a really good beer. It's just one we haven't uh, thought to go to recently. Yeah, you know, Jeff, it's funny. I recently had a can of that beer and was reminded of how delicious it is. You know, it kind of... Um, isn't uh, like that kind of category with the old school East coast IPAs with like dogfish head 60 minute and hop devil from victory and perpetual from Trogues. Um, that's the kind of beer that I always 
think about when I think of that beer and it's loaded with hops. I mean, nowadays you see beers that focus on one hop, but then I see shape of hops to come and the laundry list of hops that's, that are involved. And I'm like, man, people used to throw everything in and just see what happens. Like, I, I mean, I, I know it's not that, you know, hit or miss or like guess and check, but you know, there were a lot more um, bundles of hops used back in the yeah. day. There's a lot, there's a lot of great hops that can be used in beer. There's a great hop culture surrounding beer. Speaking of which, Matt, you pulled off quite a feat. Tell us a little bit about uh, the guests that you've lined up for today. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I stumbled across a um, online beer publication called Hop Culture, and I was immediately hooked. Um, it took my uh, interest in beer from this is cool, I like to drink beer to wow, there's actually like a world out there where people are working together in collaboration and throwing amazing festivals and collaborating on beers and gear and all these great things. And I was exposed to the beer world outside of my own bubble. Um, and that was through uh, hop culture, which I um, immediately loved, would look at it every day on Facebook and then Instagram. And now um, I just on a whim shot them a Instagram message. And we are going to be joined today by hop culture's managing editor, John A. Paradiso. And I'm beyond thrilled cannot wait to talk to him yeah matt you uh were far far ahead of me on this um i've really only recently picked up on them in in sort of the back half of of last year um really sort of since you followed them on behalf of the shelfie podcast uh instagram account uh at shelfie pod on instagram by the way <laughs> um and I, you know, I sort of saw their posts there and I sort of, you know, I started liking them and then I, I would go off to the website and read some things. And there's, there's really a lot of well thought out beer opinions on there. So I'm really looking forward to uh, talking with them, talking with John about it. So uh, without further ado, let's just welcome him on. John, welcome to Take a Shelfie. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. So uh, John, we, uh, we ask the same question to all of our guests right away, just to like, break the ice a little bit, but what got you into craft beer? So it's interesting. I come from a long line of yingling drinkers, uh, which technically is craft, but uh, as, far as, as far removed from craft as I guess you could be, while still technically being craft. Um, so I think it was truly a trip to Amsterdam that really opened up like the potential of beer beyond, you know, local lagers. Um, it was, you know, the, the scene in Europe is really interesting. So going to the Netherlands and getting to try really like classic beers that folks in, in the U.S. Uh, seek out overseas was amazing. And I think returning to the U.S., I brought some of that love for like, let me try something new. Let me try something special. Um, that really kicked off that sort of like... Uh, quest for something that tasted really good, really thoughtfully made. Um, yeah. Was there like one beer that really did it for you? I lived down the street from this brewery. It, like if you look at a touristy book of Amsterdam, it'll be like one of the first things you see. It's this brewery with a windmill, um, brewery head to eye. It's on, on the eye river. Um, it's this beautiful scenic little brewery. They're making really good stuff. Um, and I literally lived five minute walk down the street from them. So it was sort of like a, a beautiful little moment of kismet where 
uh, every time somebody visited, I could just walk them down the street and like have some good meats and cheeses and some good beer. Um, so they were one of the highlights for sure. And then I spent a lot of time at another brewery called Oedipus Brewing. Um, they were in more of like the industrial side of town, uh, not as easily found in pop in like a touristy books, um, but they're making some really, really cool saisons and some really cool like new age hazy IPA kind of stuff. Um, yeah, those were two of the highlights. So John, you get in your job to drink a lot of different kinds of beer, I'm sure. Yeah. Do, do you, uh, do you deign to designate one as, as a favorite beer and whether mm. or not you have a single favorite beer, what are some of your favorite styles to drink? I am blessed to get to try a good amount of beer. Um, I will say I, it often is either split. I used to live with roommates. So, you know, splitting a, a beer with a lot of folks so we could actually get through a bunch of beers at one time. Um, so I get a lot of little sips, um, but I would say it's funny because maybe it's a, a bit of recency bias, but I love uh, Champagne Velvet from Upland. Uh, it's this pre-prohibition lager. Um, a friend of mine wrote a, like a full article on it for um, Inside Hook and quoted me on it because I, I think it's just this really great craft lager, really well made um, with a sense of history and with this weird, so the label is this very classic like it looks like a macro beer. It looks like it could have just been another Budweiser or whatever, or Miller High Life. But it has, it, it, their tagline is the beer with the million dollar flavor. And it's just, it's wholesome. Uh, it's easy to throw back a bunch of them. Uh, it's a great beer overall. Um, but in terms of like what I drink on a regular basis, if it's not lagers like that, um, definitely love leaning towards uh, slightly acidic sours and some of the saisons. Uh, I mean, we were talking about Forest and Maine a few minutes ago, and and they're making some of my favorite saisons. Um, Three's Brewing in Brooklyn, um, they make some great saisons. So that, you know, like I said, I, I I do get to try a lot of different things, and I'm I'm happy to. But if John Paradiso were picking his own beer, usually it'd be either a light lager or like a gently acidic saison. I promise the <laughs> listeners that this is not a forest in maine and threes fan podcast it, <laughs> we did not prompt we did not prompt john to talk about those two breweries we, we also <laughs> did not prompt john to talk about loggers because we are huge logger lovers here oh at, hell yeah at, uh at shelfie pod and uh we often talk about them so i i specifically decided not to drink a lager tonight just so i didn't rub <laughs> it in any further um so john i have to ask how did you come to be involved with hop culture? Yeah, so I was a writer in Boston for a little bit. Um, we talked about Boston a little bit before. Uh, and I was covering some, some food and beverage writing. Um, but my beat, you know, like kind of what I focused on was, was craft beer. Um, an editor of mine, a former editor of mine, connected me with uh, the team that started hop culture and was like, hey, you know, new beer magazine. I know you like writing about beer. Why don't you reach out to them, see if they need a freelance, freelancer based in Boston? I was like, sure, give them a shot. Um, I wrote uh, a piece on a uh, beer 5K festival that was going on in Worcester, Mass. Um, had a blast. 
and I ended up moving back to the New Jersey, New York area, which is where uh, Hop Culture was based. Hop Culture had two headquarters at the time, one in Pittsburgh, one in New York, and I ended up in the New York area. Um, got to know those guys, started going into the office on a regular basis, uh, started as sort of an, an intern, uh, stuck around for a little bit. And it was actually when we first started throwing festivals, um, fall of 2017, that I was able to move into a full-time position. Um, and I, I kind of just stuck around since then. Um, so it was a little bit of luck. Um, it was having a little bit of uh, a background in writing about craft beer at the time. Um, and yeah, the stars kind of aligned and I got to keep going with hop culture. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's really cool yeah. to see somebody come up the ladder and, uh, you know, stick to it and get rewarded for it. I I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be real here. I'm going to just crack another beer because, uh, so Jeff, you don't have to edit out this sweet sound, <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned festivals, John, and, yeah. uh, you know, that's a big part of, of what hop culture does. Um, so, yep. so tell us about festivals. Um, you've thrown yep. a, a bunch of in-person festivals and, uh, and now due to COVID-19, you guys have kind of transitioned into the virtual festivals. Tell us what goes into throwing these. Totally. Um, I think from the, the first, the first event we did, it was fall of 2017. It was really just a glorified birthday party. Um, we threw it in tandem with Dancing Gnome in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, we were close friends with them on a personal level. They were like, hey, you know, we want to do a little birthday bash. Can you throw something together with us? Um, it took a lot of planning, but, but for the most part, it was just like, all right, let's get 10 or so of our favorite breweries together. Um, it was folks like uh, Ocelot, uh, Triple Crossing, uh, Seventh Son in Columbus, um, Voodoo, you know, just just a few folks that, that we really enjoyed. Um, get them in the same place, have as many people as we can fit in Dancing Gnome's backyard in there, uh, in their gravel parking lot, and yeah, have a good time with it. And I think because that worked so well, we adopted that sort of like, if, if we're gonna, if you were to throw a party and, you know, these are the the, the types of beers you'd want to drink, you know, this is sort of the, the scope and the scale of the party you'd want to throw. Uh, how would you do it? So every festival since then, um, we've kind of gotten into it. Like, let's, let's keep a limited ticket count to make sure that people aren't, you know, fighting over the last pour or whatever of, of whatever beer is on. Um, people don't have to wait all day online. Um, let's make sure that it's breweries that we, would like to hang out with on our own, even if we weren't putting on an event. Um, and yeah, and we go from there. And, and so far it's worked out pretty well. Um, and then, yeah, we had to make the switch. Uh, we were in planning back in, I mean, we, we had a festival on the schedule for March, 2020. Uh, it was a festival in Charlotte. We were really excited about it. And, you know, end of February, early March, we were hearing about this virus going around and we were like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think this is going to be a great idea. And, and I remember we pulled the plug kind of early, quote unquote, and people were a little bit bummed at the time, but looking back on it, like, yeah, there was no way we were going to throw a 600 or 800 person festival or whatever it was in Charlotte during this pandemic. So we had to switch it up a little bit. Um, we took a same kind of format, specifically leaning on the fact that 
that these were the, the producers of beer that we would want to spend time with, that we would want to hang out on Zoom with. Um, and we're like, okay, take that core concept. How can we make an event that people would want to tune into? Um, over the summer, we tried it out with our pals at Uzelfinch um, for the FML Fest. It was a lot of fun. It was just sort of a long day of, of individual little video sessions. Um, we did a similar concept uh, with our digital Beers Without Beards Festival in the fall. We've got a kind of similar one coming up in February, um, Juicy Brews Saturday morning. Um, so it, it's taking that idea of like, uh, who are the breweries that you'd want to spend time with, who you'd want to like have a casual conversation with, um, and then try to come up with some entertaining content, whether that's um, a look at like how they're making sour beer, a look at adjuncts um, for the Saturday morning cartoon festival. We'll be doing uh, some like coffee cupping. So talking to breweries that are using coffee in their beer and, and you know, how that process looks like, how you even connect with the coffee roastery to, to make that coffee stuff that you're interested in. Um, some of those uh, educational bits, but also, again, the, the bottom line is these are the people that we want to talk with. We want to hang out with we're going to have fun with it. And, and our assumption, and, and so far it's been proven right, is if we're having a good time, the consumer is going to have a good time. Um, so that's what we hope with, with most of our festivals. So in the meantime, while you weren't having in-person festivals, um, mm -hmm. towards the end of last year, towards the end of 2020, uh, Hop Culture was acquired by Next Class. Um, can, you, right. can you talk a little bit about how that partnership developed and, and what your hopes are for how it can expand the site? It was uh, something our founder had been working on uh, for a little, a little while. Um, it was a long process as far as I can tell. For me, it was something that, that came up really towards the end of the year, um, learning that next class would be acquiring hub culture. Uh, you know, a lot of emotions around acquisitions and I, any skepticism was pretty quickly quelled, I would say. Um, you know, Hop Culture has been an independent company since its inception uh, in 2017. And we were a really small team. We're still a small team uh, as part of just the Hop Culture team. Um, but Next Glass, as far as I can tell, has been really interested in the growth potential of craft beer. Um, and especially on the digital side of things, um, you know, hop culture, although we had our in-person festivals and the digital festivals were very, were something very new. We are a digital magazine. Um, our Instagram is, is where most people find us and that's obviously a digital space. Um, so I think the sort of digital side of things was really interesting to them. And as far as I can tell, not too many other companies we're taking a look at what craft beer had on, on sort of the internet. Um, you know, there, there were these sort of ginormous in-person beer festivals, 20,000 people, hundreds of, of uh, booths, and, and it was sort of your, your regional players. Um, but I think they were, this company, Next Glass, is really interested in sort of the potential of uh, small teams on the digital space. Um, as part of the Next Glass family, um, Osner is another of their recent acquisitions that used to be called Craft Cellar. They're a super small team, really dedicated craft beer fans. 
and they're trying out a new thing. It sounds like, it looks like you guys might be familiar with them, but, but they're sort of leading the space in terms of um, digital beer releases and, and managing um, breweries membership clubs. Um, I mean, Untap speaks for itself, but they're one of the biggest players in the digital craft beer space. Um, so, and Beer Advocate, again, is, is one of the OGs in terms of craft beer. So, I mean, to sum it all up, like we, I think the excitement was really just joining a bigger organization that cared about where craft beer could move in the digital space, um, having some more resources to be able to do the things that we've already been doing and um, yeah, just, just open up a few more opportunities. Um, we like the, um, the digital festival we have coming up in February, that was already something we had been planning long before the acquisition. But at this point, it, it gives us some more potential to reach a larger audience, um, which is something that we, we didn't have, you know, we, Hop Culture has its own following for sure, but being part of a bigger group means that we can reach a much bigger audience. Um, and then we get to bring more people into the fold. Um, you know, in terms of the nitty gritty, like some of the most exciting projects are now like working with the Osner guys on some really interesting article ideas uh, about, you know, what goes into brewery uh, memberships, you know, how does a brewery create sort of this exclusive club that people get to buy into and, and try some exciting stuff? What goes into a bottle release? Why are people lining up for hours and hours to try a beer? Um, so we're working on some really exciting, you know, storytelling with them. Um, we, Hop Culture, never really did any much video content beyond just uh, advertising for its own festival. So now we get to try out some longer form video series if we want to. Um, so it, I think some early skepticism quickly went away. Uh, and, and now we're kind of excited to, to keep doing the things that we, we were already doing. Um, you know, part of it is business as usual, and then expand in some ways that we hadn't been able to before. Well, we're certainly excited for expansion because, you know, we're, we're big fans. So anything that helps you guys expand is cool with us. So, uh, John, I mean, you write about beer, you write about coffee. I mean, uh, we, we we're really not going to touch on it too much, but there's also, um, the, you know, kind of sister company, the sister publication. Bean yeah, Culture. Bean Culture. yeah. So how do you handle your role as kind of like a coffee beer influencer? Um, you know, mm. I, for one, I've, purchased um beers i've purchased gear that i see on your website that you guys enjoy you guys are seem like outdoorsy people which yeah. which i also like to think that i am sometimes and mm -hmm. uh, so how you know do you feel like a certain pressure um to hmm. to you know give the people a very honest opinion of the of the stuff that you're you know writing about totally i mean i've i think it's similar to the, what i was trying to get at with how we throw our festivals it's sort of that idea of like, if I'm not doing it, if I'm not buying that thing, if I'm not committed to that, I will steer clear. Um, you know, when it comes to, for instance, let's say gear, uh, I feel most comfortable writing about the things that I have experience with. Um, so in most of like, let's say the hop culture, you know, we might've written a few like best beer and gear to bring on your camping trip. 
if I can remember correctly, the, the, the tent I recommended is the tent that I have at home. It's a Nemo equipment tent, it's a two person mint green tent or like lime green tent. You know, it's, it's the stuff that I feel most comfortable with. Um, I think at certain points with media companies and, and, you know, sometimes I like to compare hop culture to like a Bon Appetit, which is uh, maybe a little bit more optimistic or, or, or forward thinking than I, than I think we are at. But Bon Appetit kind of is one of the better examples of culture writing in, in the food and drink space. And hop culture for sure tries to come at it with like that positive personal approach and so when we're talking about coffee um, or gear, beer, if I haven't, let's say, tried that thing, or if I don't already own that thing, it's something that I've seen and genuinely gotten excited about. I mean, I keep note tabs with just like, ooh, here's like a brewery that popped up on my Instagram stories by somebody else sharing it. And so I'm 100% going to like visit them, you know, once I actually can or, or whatever it may be. So it's, it's the things that get me excited. I also, I, you know, maybe it's um, naive of me, but I tend to think the best writing comes from a place of excitement. Um, I feel I'm doing my best job as a writer or as a storyteller when I can make it clear that I'm just as excited about it. Um, you know, if, if there are times when it's, you know, this is work, so I'm doing work. But if I can genuinely get, happy and excited about a beer, a product, a, a coffee, a brewery, whatever, then I think it comes across in our writing. Um, and I, I hope, I mean, it sounds like it, it comes across to readers, um, which is the ultimate goal. You know, we, we, wanna, we want it to be a, a, a conversation. I write most of our newsletters and I try to incorporate some open-ended questions into some of the letters from the editor. And, and genuinely it's, it's fun when people respond and, and we can go back and forth, like whether it's a piece of music that I've been listening to or, or like a, a beer that we've been enjoying in the office. Um, you know, it's fun to have that sort of dialogue and, and exchange of excitement between people. You know, honestly, John, after the, after the year 2020, I, I don't know how much uh, Bon Appetit is really something to aspire to. So <laughs> I think Fair. I yeah. think you're doing I, just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I've I've had my own reckoning with them. Uh, <laughs> I to be candid, I canceled my subscription uh, for 2021. <laughs> but I, I think, like you know, from a from a pure content yeah. uh, standpoint or yeah. whatever, um, before the reckoning. Exactly. Yeah. Before the <laughs> So, you know, we talked about you guys as influencers. So I, I got to put you on the spot. You know, what's, yeah, please. what's one up and coming brewery that you can think of that you might see that we might be talking about as one of the really great breweries in the next couple of years. Yeah. We published an article a week or two ago on some of like our quote unquote hidden gems, um, which is a piece that is fun to write about, but sometimes gets a little, tired because you know anybody could be a hidden gem but genuinely there are some on there that i think uh so so i led that article with amalgam um out in colorado and they're a brewery i, I think i even mentioned it in the piece you know we we tried one of their beers in back in 2017 when we launched and it was one of the best beers we had that year and i was thinking about it like how is this brewery that's been around for 
going on four years, uh, not in the conversation of, you know, your everyday beer drinker already. And I think uh, they've by design stayed kind of small, but you know, we, I mean, we, now we have access to it, but we looked and saw that Amalgam was like the top rated brewery on untapped in Colorado. Um, folks are really interested in them, but they're not exactly a household name in the same way that like, I don't know, Allagash is uh, not, they're, they're completely different breweries, but the point is like, you know, a brewery like Amalgam has that potential. They're making some of the best beer in the country, I think. Um, and they're doing it in a really thoughtful measured way um that i don't think everybody can say they're doing as well um i think that they're i mean it's a weird time to be opening up as a new brewery for sure and we we talked with and and about a few breweries that have opened up in the past year and a few that are slated to open in 2021 Um, so i genuinely think like this this period that we're in is going to have an effect on breweries that are just starting. And I don't know whether that's for good or for bad. Um, I think we, we were in the same system for so long that I think the next couple of years are going to look very different as a beer consumer, whether that that's from a style standpoint, you know, like everybody wants to launch with pastry stouts and kettle sours because those are things that will move fast. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, or it just means that we're going to interact with these breweries in a completely different way than we used to. Uh, I mean, to tell you the truth, like we found most of the brewery, the new quote unquote exciting breweries on our travels, you know, throwing festivals across the country gave us a really unique and lucky opportunity to, to try breweries that otherwise we had, we'd have no way of trying because their beer wasn't distributed beyond their own tap room. So I think just discovering new breweries, and how we interact with them is gonna look so different. Um, that being said, I'm really excited about, I, I, the beer I just had before I moved on to the next one was a, a beer from a brewery in Atlanta called Elsewhere Brewing. They opened up in 2020 in Atlanta and, and they're making some really solid beers, but more importantly, it's sort of, they're, they're pairing it with Argentine food and it's this really beautiful little space. Um, they're doing a great job um, in Hop Culture's hometown of Pittsburgh. A brewery just opened up called Trace Brewing, and they're similarly like making a broad variety of beer that's really, really top quality. Um, but their space and and sort of the the welcoming atmosphere is is what's going to welcome what's going to bring people into their brewery. Um, so while I'm a little bit hesitant and nervous about the next couple of years in craft beer because I think it'll change so much. I'm excited by the newer players that can adapt and, and make it, make the best of it. Um, John, this podcast was sort of born obviously out of a a, a shared love uh, between Matt and I of beer in general, but also of (laughs) bottle shops. Um, Mm. And in, in Philadelphia um, that's, you know, you Philadelphia bottle shops are unique because our liquor laws are messed up. But um, mm-hmm. so, you know, you have to go to a, a certain location to get beer in smaller quantities like a can or two. Um, sure. So, A, I'm sort of wondering, is there a bottle shop culture uh, on Tobacco Row where you live? Mm. Um, but, you know, do you have a favorite bottle shop? And also, do you have a favorite 
unexpected find that you've ever found at a bottle shop. Mm, I like those for sure. Um, so I will say the, maybe, I feel like this is probably pretty different from like the Northeast and from um, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Cause I, th I believe New Jersey and Pennsylvania have similar liquor laws when it comes to selling beer jersey's um, a little bit looser but yeah it's mm. uh generally the, you know you can assume they're the same sure um i felt very spoiled i guess coming from the new jersey new york area in terms of you could have places that exclusively sold beer packaged in bottles and cans to go in North Carolina, what I've found is that most of the best bottle shops are by default the best craft beer bars as well, um, which isn't, that, that isn't a value judgment necessarily. It's just that, let's say in, in New York City, because that's where I was before this, um, you'd have as is, Terst, um, I'm not blind tiger. Those were dedicated craft beer bars. They might have, they might have things to go, but you went there because it's a bar and you were going to be drinking there in our neck of the woods. Um, some of the best places to drink beer are also the only places to buy good beer to go. Um, so I think it creates a little bit of a different dynamic and uh, I I'm, very biased because I also happened to bartend at this place. Um, but State of Beer is a good example in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, they are a very well-stocked bottle shop that also happens to um, pour really great beer. And that's sort of the model, I would say, down here is, um, let's, let's think of a, another good example. Tasty Beverage Co. is another uh, like local chain of bottle shops and bars. I believe that there's one in Asheville. Um, there's one in Raleigh. Um, there may be a few others. Uh, similarly, Beer Study in Durham here where I live and, and in Chapel Hill. Um, these are places where you can sit down and have a drink. I mean, pre-COVID, sit down and have a drink at the bar. And then you have walls of packaged beer to go. Um, and I think that there is a, there is a difference between sort of that, that culture that we have here and then the culture that might, you might be accustomed to in, in Philly, definitely in Pittsburgh, um, and then in New York for sure. So yeah, I, I would say, um, State of Beer, Tasty Beverage Co., Beer Study are, are a few of my favorite spots to, to buy beer, whether I'm having it there or to go. Um, and then... I mean, I'm always, I mean, to tie it all the way back to, to Amsterdam, one of my favorite, I'm, I'm, this is a little bit uh, cheating because I'm getting ready to write an article about it, but Cezanne Dupont is one of my favorite beers, hands down, and you can find it everywhere. Like it, it it's crazy to me that any rinky dink pizza joint in, in the New York, New Jersey area, um, Anywhere that like has a handful of drafts and especially a place that you, you'll see like a, a European or an import beer on tap, you're likely to find Cezanne Dupont. So that's one of my favorite things to just 
if I'm shopping for beer already and I see it, it's likely that I'll pick it up and just add it to the cart. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm getting excited about, again, to talk about the place that I used to work at, State of Beer, the, just the sort of freshness of things coming into to new areas. I mean, North Carolina is a weird beer state for sure. Um, but I, Equilibrium, for instance, just started distribu distributing to, to here. And, you know, the, the idea that these sort of local gems, truly, because Equilibrium was a New York hotspot for such a long time and still is, um, it's exciting to see places like North Carolina get start to get access to these these breweries that were so long just in their little pocket. Um, and then to see people get so genuinely excited about them is what's cool is, you know, I haven't been back to State of Beer for a little bit, but, uh, you know, when a new thing from New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Montana would, would show up at the shop, people would come in and be really excited to try whatever the next new thing is. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of craft beer culture really is like, wow, I get to try like a really cool new thing from out of state because I, you know, I love my local brewery and this brewery is making something similar to it. Let me go try it. Um, that is, is really exciting. Uh, John, this might be a little bit of a writer to writer question. Um, yeah. But I, it, it feels like a, a lot of times when you're reading about beer, a lot mm. of the same words are used uh yeah you know juicy citrus f fluffy is a word that matt and yeah. i matt and i make fun of the word fluffy a lot when it comes to new england ipas uh, how do you avoid uh how do you expand your vocabulary basically enough to <laughs> write about beer consistently in an interesting way without repeating yeah. yourself over and over again because i really feel like your site does that well uh, whereas uh, breweries tend to sort of uh, fall back on the same descriptions over and over again for their beers. So first of all, thank you, because I, I really appreciate hearing that. Um, and I, I agree. It, any sort of, I think it's the same thing in food writing too, is there's an established, established vocabulary. And it's really hard to get beyond that because people are so familiar with, say, I don't know, the way you describe a hamburger, that to introduce any new vocabulary would confuse people. So the challenge is for beer and food writers, how do you talk about a thing that everybody already knows without using those same words? Yeah, because um, it sort of feels like, like even when someone's explaining a, a hamburger to, to use the word unctuous is even going a little bit far. Right, exactly. And it's, it, it ends up becoming either confusing or you sound pretentious or whatever it is. You know, I, my, I try to approach writing about beer or food or whatever. I want to get my point across as clearly as possible um, without sounding pretentious or, or, or most importantly, without confusing the person. Um, I had a bad habit when I was first writing to describe a lot of things as smooth, um, which is a classic descriptor for beer. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's probably accurate. A lot of beer is smooth. It's not harsh or whatever. Regardless of the mouthfeel. Right. But it, it doesn't do much else. It doesn't really describe things. Um, 
So I think uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Like, don't drink beers, for instance, when he's writing long reviews of things. There's a style there that, whether you like it or not, is doing something different and is explaining beer in a way that makes you think, um, challenges the way that you're already thinking of of the beer. You could have the same beer that he's reviewing in the Instagram post and it'd be like, what is he talking about? Like, I, I had this beer, I know I know what it tastes like, but he's bringing up all these metaphors and, and, and ideas that I'm not really picking up on. So I think um, I just say that because Sometimes I see sort of a movement in food and drink writing um, rather than literally describe the thing that we're tasting, um, sort of what beer breweries are doing in their descriptions of beers, you know, flavor notes of orange, uh, pineapple, tropical fruit, whatever it might be. Um, talk about the experience around it and have people fill in the flavors um, themselves rather than tell them you're going to be tasting um, X, Y, and Z, set the scene for them, and then you fill in the rest. Um, I don't always, you know, you, you can find hundreds of examples of my own writing where I take the easy route and, and describe just the flavor notes that, you know, what, what it is that people will likely taste based on the hot profile, based on the yeast profile. Um, and I don't think there's necessarily something wrong with that, but to your point, if people want to get a little bit more creative and a little bit more expressive, I tend to think um, coming from an experiential place uh, will yield the best results. So I'm not a writer, but I'm going to tr start trying to use that in my untapped reviews. Hmm. So, you know, because <laughs> I, I find myself always saying, oh, the creamy mouthfeel. And, and I'm like, what am I even saying? Like, no, no, I got to. I mean, you're probably right. I know. Like, there probably is a creamy mouthfeel. I know. But... There, it probably is. Yeah. But like, I, I look back at all my hazy IPA reviews and I'm like, man, was I drinking the same beer 40 times? Like what, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you I mean, get, maybe you, were. you you get it to a point where there's a, there's a certain template to the way you write about certain things. Of like I, I used to semi-professionally uh, do movie reviews. And so like yeah. you, I mean, you sort of just get to the point where you're like, it's, it's well executed. It's, you know, character development, et cetera, et cetera. It's over long. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's, you, you, you tend to use the same words because, you know, you judge them on the same criteria. Exactly. Uh, and, and, so, and it's an established form. Right. People and, are used to it. Yeah. People are, uh, uh, people are looking for those words so that they just exactly. decide whether or not they want to go for it. That was a really nerdy question. I don't even know if that question is going to make the podcast, but I, it was just a right. No, I love that. I, genuinely. I love talking about that kind of stuff um, because it's something I tend to overanalyze or, or whatever I get in my own head about for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I think like, what still excites me about craft beer is the endless potential of storytelling. Um, you can go surface level and just the beer itself you're drinking, whatever it is, there's a story to be told there. You dig a little bit deeper, you ask the brewer a couple of questions about where the inspiration came from for that beer. You've got a whole other story. Um, so it's just, it's just layers upon layers. I, and I, I think to back up a little bit, because I do want to mention it, there are some real, like I personally find inspiration in 
and not not to go back to them, but Threes and Forest and Main are among the best breweries describing their own beer because they very rarely, if you look at like Forest and Main's website or whatever, they very rarely de describe the beer in its simplest terms. There's usually like a weird flavor description or a song reference or... Was, was, like, uh, was Forest and they were a part of your best uh, brewery website article yes they were yeah. exactly yeah, you, yes. you wrote about because you guys talked about this and you talked about the descriptions of the beer because it's a very like you said the simple website with the with the tree when you when you yeah. open the website and how peaceful it is and they really set the scene yeah. and like they they do a great job of again telling the story behind the beer without saying like it tastes like tobacco and stone fruit and and whatever it, you know it it's more esoteric and weirder, but at least it's different. Um, I had a brewery send the beer and they asked, uh, it was Highland Park Brewery in Los Angeles. Yeah. And they were like, uh, what song does this remind you of? Like just for my own edification, like to pair a song with this beer. And it was a fun exercise. I mean, it felt kind of like a college creative writing exercise, but it was like, you know what? I'm getting like talking heads from this beer and suddenly it's like wow that opens up so many different avenues to talk about to talk about beer so I think that sort of like rather than come from a literal standpoint which I think is still valuable it's still important to be able to say I'm tasting x y and z and for the record I try to come from a standpoint like if you're tasting a thing in a beer you are correct because you're the master of your own taste buds so like you know Maybe I'm writing, I'm tasting coconut, pineapple, and uh, lemon, and you're tasting grapefruit, tangerine, and whatever, you know, our taste buds are completely different. We're both right. We're both tasting those things as long as, you know, we're being honest with ourselves, but it pre presents in different ways. And like, that's totally fine. Obviously, there's an, an eventual objectivity to it, but for our purposes, like if you're tasting that thing, whether you like it or not, like that's what you're tasting. So it's valid. We're kind of chuckling because our buddy, he, we, so we have a little text thread, uh, us two and then two other guys. And um, we send each other reviews of the beer we're drinking, but we do videos. And uh, sure. our friend Francis uh, often tastes fresh papaya. And I'm like, there's no way he is the <laughs> recall of fresh in papaya. So beers. Yeah, it's like if, if, if it's a hazy IPA, he's up in, he's up in uh, Massachusetts and he's often drinking vitamin C. And he's like, sure. fresh papaya. I'm like, no, <laughs> they can't all taste like fresh papaya. And you don't know yeah, what fresh true. papaya tastes like. <laughs> But but we all we all lean back on things that we always talk about like like Matt Matt always talks about about bready uh, yeah, sure. I, I I always talk about uh, uh, citrus rind um, mm. not not citrus peel like or citrus <laughs> flesh like you know we all have, we all have things that we lean back on exactly yeah, yeah. so you guys have recently partnered with um, beer culture and for people who are listening. Um, beer culture is a nonprofit and they aim to create a more, uh, diversity and equity within the craft beer industry. Um, yep. so how did your partnership come about and why do you personally feel it's important to, you know, create more equity and diversity within the craft beer industry? Yeah, I, it's a good question. And so beer culture specifically, I can't remember how our organizations first met. 
Um, I can tell you a bunch of little anecdotes of, of like touch points between the two companies. Um, so for instance, um, Beer Culture uses a PR agency based in Boston, um, Kevin York Communications. Uh, Kevin York is, is a really fantastic uh, beer PR agency, um, is working with some really great breweries, uh, Idle Hands in Malden, um, Greater Good Imperial Ales, um, Von Ebert out in Portland, Oregon, I believe. So he's doing some great work and he teamed up with them. So uh, I can distinctly remember a time when he said to me, I'm working with beer culture. There's somebody you should be checking out. Um, beer culture also has a very established relationship with Green Bench, um, who happened to be one of our favorite breweries in Florida, just by virtue of making this, some really great beach lagers, um, like lagers that we're, we'll happily drink on a beach day. Um, so I can distinctly remember a time when reaching out to the folks at Green Bench, they, they connect us with beer culture. Um, so I don't remember any specific moment of first getting in touch with beer culture, um, but I know that we have a lot of mutual friends who kind of kept connecting the dots for us. And in terms of um, the work we're trying to do together, I would say that, you know, I have my own personal beliefs. Um, they tend to lean uh, left to, to, uh, to make it clear as possible. Um, and then, you know, as, as a member of a larger organization, even though hop culture isn't that large of an organization, you need to channel your own personal beliefs to the most productive and practical ways. So uh, as the editor of a small beer publication, my stance was uh, as much overthrowing of norms as I would like to do, what is the most productive way to make changes. And the work we are slowly but surely doing with beer culture, for instance, um, is a good example of the ways that we think um, changing the beer industry in the most possible ways, uh, it's the most effective way that we can think of. Um, to answer your question of why it's important, um, I definitely, uh, I definitely subscribe to the idea that the more people at the playing table, the more fun the space will be. Um, I think, I mean, we're, we're all, you know, the three of us are fans of craft beer and we live in that space. But I mean, even thinking of video games, um, comic books, any industry that is homogenous, um, can't uh, evolve. Um, there's no way to move forward if everybody's thinking the same things and doing the same things. And I think craft beer for, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always excited by the growth and potential and, and energy in the craft beer space, but I think 
imagine if we had double the amount of voices that we have already. Um, imagine the amount of people that we're leaving behind through non-conscious acts, through just um, not thinking about things. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is we sort of came about it like if we can bring more people, more voices, um, more distinct perspectives to the table, um, we can at least start conversations and uh, shake things up. Um, whether everything's stuck, whether you know craft beer radically changes overnight, um, or whether it's like a slow progressive uh, growth that over time just brings more people to the table. Um, I think that ultimately was was the hope and the the work of beer culture and the work that we're trying to do with organizations like them um, is going to be slow. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm most excited by that idea of the, the opportunity of bringing more people to the table. And I, I keep using that metaphor because um, maybe to give some context, uh, our founder, Kenny, had some conversations with um, folks of color in the industry, um, black brewers, black business owners, who really, you know, I think you can make an assumption of the best, um, the best way to be a progressive, um, for instance. But once you actually have conversations, you can get some more concrete info on what, what are the most useful steps to be taking. And that phrase, um, being brought to the table, kept coming up. Um, and I think it really, especially because we're in the food and beverage industry, that phrase means a lot. Um, I mean, I've, I've tried my best to broaden my own horizons as a person over the last few months and reading the work of folks like uh, Eugenia Brown and Stephanie Grant, who are two really great writers um, working in the South. Uh, just, I mean, for instance, Stephanie Grant wrote a piece for uh, um, Good Beer Hunting on their experience in a tap room in, a, in Asheville, I think, which is the state I call my home. And to hear their perspective on things is really enlightening because I walk into a tap room and it's normal for me. Uh, it's not always the case for other people. So um, all of those tangents, uh, hoping to, in my effort to combine all those tangents, um, I think we're most excited about shining a spotlight, but also bringing people into an active role um, and, and having more people do the work in craft beer, just having a diverse uh, perspectives, whether it's um, skin color, belief systems, um, personality choices, whatever it might be, the more people contributing to a common good, and in this case, it's be good beer, um, the better that will be. So I think that's my yeah. roundabout way of explaining it. <laughs> and I think that especially because um, hop culture now has, a, has even 
bigger of a reach because of the partnership exactly with, with next less it's it's especially important so i i think we're uh, matt and i are on the same page as you and and we're both really looking forward to to see that growth happen um yeah john this has been extraordinarily enlightening um on a lot of levels uh and we really really appreciate you taking the time thank you so much for being on the podcast yeah this was a pleasure i had a lot of fun uh, Matt, we don't really have to go really far into how great that was because this has already been a supersized episode, but terrific work getting John. That was so much fun. Yeah. I mean, it really was. Uh, and I had to like hold myself back from like fan. I don't want to say fan guying. Like I was so excited. I've liked hop culture for so long and John exceeded expectations. Um, really really sweet guy and i look forward to maybe one day sharing a beer with him in person maybe at fermentary form or another great philadelphia brewery um that we can get him over to yeah i mean we we pressed pause at the end of that interview and then talked with him for another 10 minutes um to, to the point where it's getting late at night and i just really i i want to end this recording um you can follow a hop culture on instagram uh, on Twitter and on Facebook, all Hop Culture Mag. Uh, you can also visit them at hopculture.com. Uh, John contributes there, obviously, very regularly, but uh, all the articles are terrific. You can follow our podcast on Instagram uh, and on Twitter at ShelfiePod, on Facebook.com slash ShelfiePod. You can also visit us at ShelfiePod.com, uh, and that's where we post our full episodes uh, and you can leave comments uh, on what you thought of the episode and maybe give us suggestions for uh, other other uh, publications that you really enjoy that you might want us to reach out to and see if we can get on there. Um, you can subscribe to Shelfie Podcast wherever you get your fine podcasts. While you're there, please stop in and leave us a nice review. It really helps with the uh, promotion of the podcast. We are back with a really interesting episode next week. Matt has already purchased for me a mystery beer. Uh, and I'm going to find him a mystery beer, uh, and then we're going to taste them and uh, really try and discover how uh, highfalutin our tastes uh, are uh, and how much of it really is just sort of made up of BS in our heads. Until that episode, I'm Jeff Martin. And I'm Matt Prince. Take the fall, act hurt, get indignant.